The Russians refer to Tolstoy and Dostoevsky as great writers, great geniuses, but Chekhov as a friend. He actually engages with all those big questions of life and death, but he does it with such lightness. Chekhov always denied that he had any kind of agenda. He was interested in human beings and how they interacted. He did represent people actually as they really are. It's as if he's examining the sort of eternal questions of love and of death and of life in the space of a raindrop. He lived in Taganrog, in southern Russia, in his childhood. He graduated as a doctor from Moscow University and started writing funny stories to try and help pay the bills. He confounded his critics from the beginning because his stories were so unconventional. He also started writing plays uh, in the late 1880s. He had a kind of success with Ivanov, which was his first um, proper staged play. Chekhov lived a fairly short life, 44 years. Uh, he packed an awful lot into it. He spent the last four and a half, five years of his life based in, in Yalta. And that's where he wrote the, the last great plays, Three Sisters and The Cherry Orchard, and then a couple of his greatest short stories. What Chekhov puts his finger on so brilliantly in all his last plays is the slow decline of this group of people who are being ousted from their houses and their homes and their comfortable positions. The sort of whole culture of the Russian country estate, which is the setting for the great plays, its golden age was perhaps in the 1820s, 1830s. There was something beautiful about them because in the middle of the Russian steppe there would be this classical mansion and there was a little sort of pool of culture in the middle of, uh, of, of nothingness. The Russian landscape was incredibly important to Chekhov as it is to so many Russians. It's something that's really one wants to understand and I think that Chekhov sees a love of the landscape as over and over again as being a redemptive thing. Astroff finds great beauty in the countryside, but the others apparently don't, you know, it just leaves to them. Endlessly they're saying, Moscow, Moscow, we must go to Moscow. Well, I think everybody feels that. But if you're, as, as the three sisters were, way out in some small town with an, an army garrison, then in your mind, you idealize what Moscow must be like. These are not members, as it were, of the aristocracy. They are um, people who belong to the lower ranks of the gentry. Um, they are not extremely wealthy. They're certainly not powerful or influential in the world. That's what his, his plays are, are mostly about, about people feeling that real life is just out of reach and the realisation of their own lives is just out of reach. It was a way of life that was destined to die because it was built on, on sand. I mean, it, the, the people who enabled it to function were, were the serfs, and when the serfs were emancipated in 1861, obviously people lost their livelihoods, and these beautiful country estates 
started to fall into decay and people became impoverished and abandoned them. Well, I don't think it's a mistake that he called his plays comedies. The vision was essentially uh, a wry and amused view of human weakness, I think. The surface of the plays is actually rather bright and, and uh, animated and energized. Audiences can't have known what to make of it. And in fact, the reaction to some of the early plays is quite resentful, particularly the first night of the Seagull, because it was as if a trick was being played on the audience. They didn't know what was to be taken seriously and what was funny. And that's the, he, he, he redefined all those terms. Stanislavski and his partner, Nemirovich Danchenka, decided to found a new theater, and Chekhov turned out to be the ideal author for them. What Stanislavski enjoyed in Chekhov's writing was the fact that, um, as he once put it, the main meaning of the text is not by any means carried just by the words. It's very often carried by what happens between the words. It worked wonderfully for the first productions, but for Chekhov, eventually it got a bit much because the verisimilitude actually killed the, the great magic of the plays. Chekhov actually was moving increasingly towards the abstract. It seems that he was going into something more expressionistic, and you can already see that in The Cherry Orchard. If you look closely at Leparkin's Facts and Figures, it's a vast, vast area, impossibly big, bigger than any cherry orchard perhaps can be imagined to be. He had this vision of a sea of white, he says, and cherry trees in bloom, and the branch of a cherry tree coming through the window into the house, and girls in white dresses. It's almost a, an hallucination he has of this white, white um, landscape. Then Renevsky sees for a moment her dead mother moving around in the orchard just for a second. Trofimov sees the souls of Russia's suffering peasants in the trees. These are all things which is, uh, you know, suggest something which is you know, something more than, than real.